The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? It is a Future Sox podcast. I am Dan Sinermita, joined here with James Fox. How you doing, James? Good, man. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah, we are uh, excited to get into some some not exciting White Sox news, but we have a lot to talk about. Uh, But first, I want to mention that we are now sponsored. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. You can check out their products at manscaped.com. And use our promo code FUTURE20 for 20% off your purchase. If you uh, buy and use the code, it will help us out, so we would appreciate that. And moving back into White Sox talk, the news of the day, Aloy Jimenez, injury, muscle tear, he's going to have surgery, and he's going to miss most of, if not all, the season. I guess, James, what's your initial reaction to that massive news? Oh, it sucks. Obviously, I mean, I, I just like think he's like a big dumb idiot, right? It's, I mean, it's it's he's like he's a baby deer. Like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? And I know, like, you know, me and Mike differ a little bit on this. Like, we were just going back and forth on Twitter, and I kind of like I'm in the I don't know if you've like followed like Josh Nelson's thoughts at Sox Machine on this, and I just like want him to not try anymore, and like. You know, like play the grounders, catch anything hit at you and literally never leave your feet for anything because your bat's super important and like they don't have DH at bats. Now he, you know, is under the impression that like, you know, he kind of says like, you know, it's a 24 year old or whatever Eloy is and like you're not going to be able to like tame a bull, I guess, out there and like it's just not going to be feasible. And I heard Matt Spiegel on the radio today kind of saying something similar, but it's like, dude, like, can't you like just go to the Manny Ramirez school of left fielders like it's and it's guaranteed right field it's like not that hard so i mean look if you want to try to make a play like that against the twins and like a, a game where you're like down a game in the division like in september like fine but like in a spring training game like what like what the hell are you doing i just i don't know i'm i'm just dumbfounded by it because it's like happened so many times but i thought that like somebody would finally like be able to make him stop and nobody's been able to make him stop and now yeah now it's like a big uh big loss yeah, and it, it's funny because this was something we were talking about 2019 when he got hurt in the field. And it wasn't as significant of an injury, but it was still this conversation of, well, can we just DH this guy? Like, what's the point? Uh, and granted, the roster was built differently to where DH was, was more of an open position then than, it's, than it is in this team or 
you know, the, the roster's built differently, so it, it was more open then. And now, you know, with the team trying to have Vaughn and, and Brayu both up, you know, Jimenez at DH is, wasn't it was tabled for the short term. But I think, you know, long term, it's got to be something they consider. I think there's no way around the inevitable future of him moving to DH, right? I mean, maybe it waits until Abreu is gone. I don't know how long he'll still be with the team. I mean, you expect Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn to be there for quite a while. You know, Vaughn's going to take over first base at some point, And, you know, I, I see no reason why Jimenez can't DH. We know he can hit enough, so there's no reason to feel, you know, to be conservative about how you put him in the field because his bat plays anywhere. This isn't a you know a guy who only plays if he can play a certain position. So yeah, it's certainly frustrating, uh, and we could certainly get into what this means. There's a big knock-on effect with the rest of the roster. I guess the first question is, who takes left field? Yeah, so I mean, I think it's going to be like a mix and match. I mean, obviously, Tony Larusa said that they're going to try at uh, Andrew Vaughn out there, and I think you know the question then becomes, I guess, why weren't they? kind of doing that already then if that was like an option you know to kind of move guys around like if he's versatile enough to play a corner I don't really think that's gonna go that well but like I said like I just like don't know how hard it is especially for 81 games to play left at guaranteed rate field and I don't think Andrew Vaughn's gonna like hurt himself out there right and they were already like sacrificing defense like they clearly don't care it's just a matter of like this really important hitter, like not running into walls and injuring himself. I don't think Andrew Vaughn will do that. So maybe like if, you know, if Vaughn is an option and left sometimes, right, then you can DH Zach Collins, who's played really well in spring training, or you can DH Grandall or do something like that. But I do think it'll be a lot of Larry Garcia. It'll be some Angle and Eaton together, probably whenever Angle makes it back. I do think they're a prime example of a team that's probably going to add at the deadline. Like maybe that's what you, I mean, maybe you need like another left-handed bat and you just stick a guy in left field. Cause like, I think we see Aloy Jimenez this year. I think just with like my history in football and coaching, that's an injury where like five to six months sounds, you know, like they're, you know, they're, they're being like very cautious with that. Like he's got to heal and do the rehab, but it's not like, you know, it's not like super serious where it's going to affect him like after it heals. So I could see like him being back like in mid September and definitely like for the playoffs if, you know, if they make it, which they should, but um, yeah, I mean, they're just going to have to mix and match until then. I'm kind of curious to see if they make like an external move prior to the season starting. So that's like another storyline that like, you know, I really wasn't, hoping to have to like follow but it's something that we might have to like check out here because I just don't know if Billy Hamilton and Larry Garcia is like enough to get you through and then you know with that being said like I'd like your opinion like do you do you like kind of shift your focus you know and kind of prioritize defense now and win a different way and kind of win with pitching or do you try to find a way to like get Andrew Vaughn in left field and like DH Collins and like make up for the offense I don't know I you know maybe that's just going to be like a mix and match type thing. Yeah, I don't know exactly because you know you when you were running through the lineup there with Collins, Vaughn getting some extra, basically the the remaining at bats, you know, with DH and left field. That's probably your best nine right now in terms of batting. Now the one concern, and this is admittedly extremely conservative from my point of view, but my concern with doing it that way is if Vaughn is in left field, you're throwing a guy who now I'm not doubting his ability to hit at the major league level from what I've seen of him in spring training is incredibly impressive. 
you know, he'll get better, but as a guy that, you know, seems ready, his, his plate approach is just phenomenal. So like he can handle it. However, throwing in a new position to him while he's learning major league baseball is less than ideal because you want all of his focus to be on adapting to major league pitching and not, you know, he want the field cause he's played first base for years and, and DHing. You don't have to play the field. You know, you want that to be like autopilot and the batting to be what he focuses on because that's going to need the most work. And then you basically take some of his mental energy and his preparation time shifts towards defense, which is not really what we care about from him. As as much as playing left field would add a little more long-term value to him, like I, I don't really want that. <laughs> so it is a weird conundrum the White Sox have to try and figure that out. I do think getting Zach Collins regular playing time helps a lot. Like I think that is as a pure bat and a guy that hasn't really had a full-time chance in the majors. He's, you know, I think he had maybe a week when he first came up a couple of years ago and he's basically gotten one at one or two plate appearances a week ever since at most. Right. So like getting him more regular at bats, I think will turn him into a decent major league hitter. It's just a matter of how it fits within your team. And, and the problem is when you look at, like you said, the, uh, making a, an acquisition before early in the season, what kind of prospect or roster capital are you talking about and giving up that you'd have rather have saved for something else that you would have needed instead of this one-year stopgap for Aloy? Like, I mean, it's maybe something they come around the trade deadline and there's some two-month rental and the White Sox are happy to have a rental because they know the guy won't be starting. Uh, or even need to be a part of the long-term future of the team. But in the near term, I, I don't know that I, I think I'd kind of want to see where you're at. I mean, you can always make a trade in May and like, you know, I just don't like the hasty decision that that puts you the team in. Yeah, no, and I get it. And I think, look, I think, I think what we're not going to find out and what they need to know is like what the Eloy plan is. Right. And I think like, it's been like, he's got to play left field. He wants to play left field. He doesn't want to DH. They know the roster issues they have, but dude, after this one, I kind of feel like they're going to take his glove away. And if that's the case, then Andrew Vaughn might need to learn how to play an outfield corner. Because, like, I look, I don't, I don't want to say that they have a Jose Abreu problem because Jose Abreu is awesome. And I tweeted this earlier, and, like, he's awesome. Like, and I kind of feel like Jose Abreu is going to be on the White Sox, like, as long as he wants to be on the White Sox. But that's, like, not necessarily a good thing, right? Because... Like we saw it with Paul Canerco, like as long as Jose Abreu's here, like he's either DHing or playing first, which kind of makes things difficult when you have Yasmani Grandal and Andrew Vaughn and all these other guys that like can't do anything else but like play a corner or first. So like something has to give somewhere. So that's where like I agree with you on Vaughn. I don't really want to like introduce left field to him for the first time while he's like trying to learn major league hitting. Like he could DH this year. Um that's fine. And they can just play the outfielders out there. But if Eloy's coming back and he's the DH, then like something has to give eventually. So like, it is something that they're like going to have to figure out. Yeah. The long-term view of that, that's a very good point that, that Vaughn probably at one point you will have all three. And if you don't want Jimenez in the field anymore, it probably has to be Vaughn. It's a good point. It's not pretty. It's not the best case scenario at this point. I don't know how far in the weeds we want to go in this. Like, who who makes the roster that wouldn't have now? Mm-hmm. And who takes that spot? Well, yeah. So I'll tell you what, your guy, your you know one of your one of your longtime favorites here, Sebi Zavala, 
<laughs> I think I think he might hang on now because you got guys to put on the sixty the sixty man uh, DL. So I think they're going to add Lucroy. I think they're going to add Vaughn. So that's two spots, and then you know they're probably going to have to add Billy Hamilton too, which is three spots. Um, Ruiz is out of options, so Ruiz is probably done. And then I guess they could sixty day Fry and Eloy, and there's all your spots, right? So that's that's what it seems like to me like three guys maximum probably that you need to add they had a weird like waiver claim last week in nick turley nick turley's a you know lefty reliever that was pretty terrible in spring training so far for oakland but his stuff is probably as good as it's ever been he's a um he's like a guy that had gone to ethan katz in the off season uh, in years past he's another harvard westlake guy so you know my guess is he was available they put the claim in they want to see him in that last spot in the bullpen was seemingly down to Ruiz and him because they're both out of options. And I could see Tony wanting the, you know, the third lefty down there if Ethan Katz vouched for the guy. So, you know, with Lopez going down, I think your pitching is set. But the position player side is definitely in flux now. And the guy that benefits the most, I think it has to be Zach Collins. I mean, I don't I don't know what, what else he's supposed to do. I've obviously been a fan forever. And people that listen to this show know, like, you know, look, man, he's had 120 big league at bat. Like it's, it's not enough for anybody to determine anything. Like he might be bad, but we don't know. So, and he's, he's made a ton of changes. He looks a heck of a lot better. You know, if he, if he can't make the team after like this success in spring training, I don't ever want to hear somebody like talk about spring training battles or like any of that nonsense ever again, because he's done everything he can. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, how about uh and Mercedes? I mean, just to throw in another, I'm not necessarily saying he can catch, but I mean, if you're looking, you suddenly yeah. have more DH. It bats, right? Right. And I think he's definitely like a taxi squad guy. So I think they get to bring five on the road, which is my point about Mendick. So too, I don't I don't think carrying Danny Mendick makes any sense at all. Because especially when you have like you have Leary that could get you out of a game anywhere, right? So, you know, like something happens to Tim Anderson and Leary's gotta play short, he gets you out of the game. You can just like add Mendick to the team at that point. So like him being the 26th man when he's not really the number two guy anywhere other than maybe third doesn't really make any sense to me. So I, I've seen Mendick it, like as a lock like from some beat writers and stuff, and I don't I don't really um, get it. But yeah, I think Yerman's like in that same boat. I think like if you you know you go to Anaheim and Oakland and you get a five man taxi squad, like you bring Yerman and Mendick and three pitchers or whatever, and like that's your group, like in case something happens. So. Yeah, I I can't like Yerman is interesting, and I think like on a lot of teams like he'd be he'd be in the mix, and we've talked about this, but just like here he can't like I don't even think he catches as well as Collins does, and he hits right handed, and they just like don't need that. So I'll be curious to see like if they carry him all year, and he's like bouncing between you know the taxi squad and Charlotte, or if like they actually give him an opportunity elsewhere because he is like twenty eight years old, and that's another guy on the 40 man roster. So, you know, they have options. We don't know if any of them are particularly good after last season. Cause like nobody yeah. played baseball. Yeah. And, and the thing with Mercedes is that I think he will get a chance, you know, someone else will get hurt or dinged up or like a week off or something. Uh, minor injury stuff where he'll probably get a little stint. He may be what Zach Collins has been the last couple of years where it's like, yeah, well, someone got hurt. Here's a roster spot. And then he hits, you know, three plate yeah. appearances in a week and you don't really get a view of them, but 
you know, that may be the only chance he gets with the White Sox. Yeah, I mean, it's on. Un- yeah, it's like unfortunate for him, right? Like, I mean, too bad yeah. he's not like on the Pirates. He could get 500 at bats probably. Yeah, because I actually do think, and I know this is kind of like a, a fan, like a cult following for this guy at this point. I, I do think there is like a semblance of a major league bat there. And I know you had you guys had a guest on your show recently where he said something like the only difference between guys and the high minors and the majors is opportunity. And Mercedes is a great example of that. Like in another world where there's no pandemic and he's on a bad team, maybe he has like a 750 OPS last year and suddenly somebody looks at him as like a decent everyday, you know, DH or something. And like, oh, I'm not expecting the guy to be an all-star, but there might be a major league career there, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I think, I think for sure. Hey, Future Sox fans, listen up. This is Mike Rankin. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I have an exclusive offer just for you. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. We've partnered with Manscaped to assist us in improving our product. That's right, Manscaped is helping us grow, and it's good for us, and it's good for you. They were kind enough to offer up a discount code. Use FUTURE20 at checkout for 20% off your total purchase. Head over to Manscaped.com to explore what they have to offer. Options include t-shirts, boxers, grooming products, and much more. May I suggest the performance package? It includes the Lawnmower 3.0, a skin-safe electric trimmer, the Weed Whacker for ears and nose hair trimmings, an anti-chafing deodorant for below the belt, a spray toner to keep you fresh during a night out, plus two free gifts if you order now. You'll get a travel-sized bag and a pair of boxers with your purchase. That's, of course, if you choose the performance package. Remember to use Future 20 at checkout for a 20% discount and free shipping. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Be sure to use the code FUTURE20 at checkout. One more time, that's manscaped.com, FUTURE20 at checkout. Any other internal candidates? I mean, prospect-wise, uh, I know Mike Rankin, who I'm filling in for today, has something on our website about uh, some potential fill-ins. I know you mentioned Luis Gonzalez and Blake Rutherford, and they're probably both not ready and not really all that good. <laughs> to right? Be totally yeah. Honest. Yeah. I mean, I mean, non-prospect wise, I mean, like Nick Williams is in camp and he's been somewhat interesting. I mean, that to me, like if you had a Triple A season, that's your kind of that he's playing right field in Charlotte, like, and he comes up in a pinch type thing over one of your prospects that might not be ready. Um, I, I don't know what to think, like with Gavin Sheets, right? Because Tony La Russa praised Gavin Sheets and Berger, but some of that's just because of like the nature of the media, right? Like those dudes were given access that day. So the media talked to those guys. So then they asked La Russa specifically about those guys. And then the quotes that are shared are like, oh yeah, these guys look fantastic type thing. You know, it wasn't really him going out of his way. That was just like the topic of the day. So yeah, I mean, if Gavin Sheets like goes to Charlotte in May and has like five or six homers and looks decent in the outfield like could he make his big league debut yeah sure i mean yeah now he could like if scouts are really like you know think that he can play left field i would think we see gavin sheets before we see any of the like conglomerate of outfielders that we've ranked near each other so yeah i think i think he's an option you know and then i think early in the season like like you were saying like they could make a trade with a bad team that maybe we weren't expecting. And with Eloy, like you wouldn't need to, but now like it, you know, it kind of opens up a lot of opportunities for guys to play on a team that's should still be really good despite losing one of your best players. I mean, I, you know, as frustrating as it is and as good as Eloy Jimenez is there, there's other guys that are like infinitely more important in my opinion. Right. Like if, if you would have lost like, Tim Anderson or, you know, even like 
like Yasmani Grandal, like that's like a little bit tougher to overcome. Like as good as Eloy, and that sounds weird, right? Because Eloy like might hit 40 homers and 500 plate appearances, but you know, it's, it's really not the end of the world because it's the left fielder, like regardless of how good he is. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of questions. And the one thing, you know, you're talking about Gavin Sheets, like, he seems to be the the sleeper in all this, and I don't think he would be someone the White Sox turn to in April. I don't I don't think they would turn him that quickly. But he's a guy that if he continues to prove he can play left field, and we'll see how much he does that in the minors. But like he's basically got two things to prove in the minors this year. And now, whereas opposed to he was basically blocked, you know, for the foreseeable future uh, with the White Sox because of Abreu and Vaughn. He now has an opportunity that he could come up in June, maybe, like if in his absolute best case scenario. All right, so the first thing he was trying to prove this season was can he play left field, which he was already sort of working on because of that long-term block. And then now there's an opening in the major major leagues right now. We're not just talking about like, oh, you know, maybe some down the road or just add general value to his profile. You're looking at, oh, there's a major league job for you if you can – you know, produce in AAA for a month or two and then throw in the positional value. So like, look, the guy's got a chance, which is, you know, that's always the thing with prospects. You know, we talk about guys in their long-term projection and, and look, things change in a blink of an eye in terms of opportunity. And here's an opportunity for Gavin Sheets. Now the thing that hurts him is that there's no AAA season until May. So he's already down a month of the major league season and then you're not going to call him up after two hot weeks in AAA unless things are really bad in the majors in left field. Like, I don't see the White Sox doing that to him and being that desperate. So it's probably going to take longer, you know, in a normal season where they start alongside the major league season. This is something where he could come up earlier. Now it's going to be a little tougher. But I, at the very least, by the trade deadline, the White Sox would probably be able to have made that evaluation and where they think Sheets can contribute this year. Well, yeah, and the, you said it, like it's opportunity. There's like a definite chance, right? I feel like if you and I did this even six weeks ago, we would have said, Gavin Sheets, like no shot. Like he's, I would have said like, maybe he makes his big league debut, but not in Chicago. I would have said, you know, he's, he goes to Charlotte, rakes, he's part of a deal for, you know, something that they need. And then he starts his big league career elsewhere. But there's like a legit path for him now if he does what he can so I mean this is like you know you go from blocked to not blocked like really quickly sometimes that's why like you can never have enough guys yeah we talk about minor league depth all the time that's a great point like that is the reason you want depth because not only do most or a lot of these guys not turn out you know you never know when you'll need need some all right so we have to bring in one more name I don't know if <laughs> this is a bit aggressive or not, but Yoelki Cespedes, right? I mean, he's a little bit further down the list just because we haven't seen him in the minors yet. Is there any chance? You're a little more informed on him than I am. Is there any chance of of him making a surprise move? Yeah, so I mean, I will say, like, internally, they're they're very impressed with what they've seen, and it's guys that hadn't really seen him, I guess, like, as an amateur because it – you know, it's like on the international side, right? So pro scouts and amateur scouts and guys that are patrolling backfields, like, you know, they, they didn't really know who this guy was other than, you know, he got $2 million and signed. And so I guess like defensively, he's as advertised, right? Like he can play center. He's got a plus plus plus, plus arm. And, you know, he's hit like in these backfield games and stuff. So I, I would be surprised if he's an option this year. 
But, you know, as we talked, we talked a little bit pre-show, like if they start him at Birmingham and he somehow holds his own, like in double A, like what, what was, you know, what used to be the Southern league, whatever it's called now. I mean, yeah, like that guy's an option. Cause he's like 23 years old. Right. So, you know, I, I would bet against seeing him, but you know, he's, he's in the mix. And the one thing that he can do that some of the other guys can't is, you know, I think he's a better defender than probably all of them. I think, you know, Luis Gonzalez can play center, but he shouldn't play center all the time. And, you know, he's got, he's a tweener on the corner. So, you know, I think if, if you Cespedes does some of the things that apparently he's shown in camp, then he, you know, he's probably going to leap over a lot of these guys that we've talked about for years. And I will say one thing that, you know, I do think it's, it's a ridiculous thing to say he'll play in the majors this year. However, to play devil's advocate to my own premise there, I do think that he has two things going for him. I, I think the White Sox have made these surprisingly fast moves on some guys in the past. I mean, you can talk about Chris Sale or Garrett Crochet, but like really pitchers is different because like they're the ones that have the ball first. Like if you throw 98 or if you have a wicked slider, like it works anywhere, right? You can see how well that's going to work. You know, with hitters, obviously it's a bigger adjustment, but I, they have been aggressive with guys. I think they were pretty aggressive with, with Luis Robert, despite, you know, the fact that they didn't bring him up in 2019. Like, if he wasn't hurt in 2019, am I doing that right? <laughs> All these years. I think uh, so, 2018. Yeah. If he wasn't hurt in 2018, I think he probably would have been up in 2019. Like the probably, way Yeah, I think so, too. And I, I think, look, nobody expected, you know, he goes to Winston, and, you know, we're not going to do a whole thing on Luis Robert here, but... You know, I think he had a weighted runs created plus of like 200 at Winston-Salem. And I think they wanted to slow play him. And then they're like, well, you know, we can't do that. Then he goes to Birmingham, you know, and just like to a over 900 OPS, like in Birmingham, right? And we're used to even the White Sox, like prospects that we thought were decent would go to Birmingham and just suck. And he just like went there and like destroyed the entire league. So then it's like, okay, on, and then you knew like Charlotte was going to be easier than double A was. So I think at that point they realized like, okay, like we were right. This is a dude, like we have to move him quickly. And it kind of goes back to like what they're doing with Andrew Vaughn right now. And I don't know if like I've said this on a podcast with you, you know, I think a lot of people, maybe some of us included think that the White Sox are, you know, being super aggressive with Vaughn because he hasn't played above a ball. And, you know, from what I've heard and what they think, like they, they think they're being somewhat conservative with him because they just like think he's awesome. And they, they saw him at the alternate site and he got like, you know, whatever he was bad at, right. He got the fix like immediately with, with some big league coaches and like high minors level coaches, instead of like playing a week's worth of games, like it was just like fixed immediately. And he, you know, he faced four a type pitching which is still better than what he would have saw at Winston-Salem. So I just like think like they, they think they're, this is conservative. Like they considered bringing him up last year, which falls in line with what you're talking about. And like Gordon Beckham, they rushed to the majors and like some of these other guys, you know, and hopefully, you know, Vaughn's like aptitude for hitting, like puts him in a better spot to like handle it than some of the other guys. But I mean, yeah, like on the on the positional side, like they've slow played some guys, but then other guys they have been super, super aggressive. And yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I want to see Cespedes like really bad because I just like nobody has any idea what to expect, right? Like it, it's two million dollars. Like so, it's not like 
you know, I tried to make that clear to people that it's not like a Luis Roberts situation, but like, I mean, he could be pretty good. We, we just like, don't, we don't really know. Yeah. And I think that the big thing with going through all those names you're mentioning about guys, they've, they've moved quickly. And I think the other thing is we haven't seen the White Sox. I mean, the White Sox, as you mentioned, Gordon Beckham, like the White Sox have been very aggressive with some guys when they were in contention. True. And these this year's team, even without a boy, is probably much better than a lot of those teams that they were saying they were in contention, but were kind of just barely in contention on. You know, where they're like, oh, if we just have another, you know, whatever guy, and it's like, ah, you know, you need a lot more than that. So that that changes the calculus for the White Sox in terms of how they handle promotions now, because there is a more immediate need. And now Rick Hahn has always said all the right things. In terms of, you know, oh, we're going to bring them up when they're ready. But, like, look at last year. Like, now last year is an anomaly, so I wouldn't use it as, like, evidence of, of future actions. But, you know, Jonathan Stever, Dane Dunning, although Dunning probably more ready than Stever, but they called up Jonathan Stever for two starts and got one decent one out of him. So they probably will be more aggressive in contention. And the other thing I would say, just real quickly, is with Cespedes, like, He's a Cuban. They have all these Cubans on the roster. Like, if there's anyone who's going to know the adjustments on and off the field to Major League pitching from, like, like Jose Abreu went straight from the Cuban League to Major League Baseball. If Cespedes does that in less than a year, they have the guy who did it better than anyone else on the roster. They have, you know, like, Ruiz Robert was in the Cuban League, what, three years ago or four years ago or something like So he has guys he could talk to if he's struggling and maybe work it out here. I don't think this is the first option. I'm just trying to work out a way to like, yeah, maybe late in the year if he gets off to a hot start. Yeah. And I think even Marco Patti kind of said like he has major league ready tools, right? Because he's played professional baseball before. Now he's never played like a full major league season, like in the United States, which, or, or even, you know, like a full minor league season. That'll be the thing, right? It's, can he, show up to work every day and do it every day, which is like expected here. But I mean, he's, he's played with pros before. So, you know, if he can make that adjustment, that's why, that's why he is further along. And that's the debate, right? The, the, the White Sox give themselves up in the international market and we've debated it plenty. You know, they don't have the high upside of 16 year old Dominicans, you know, littered throughout their system but they do have guys that might offer you some semblance of major league value sooner because of like the way they operate in that market. And Cespedes is, well, he was the latest of those guys. Yeah. Good segue. Now I do want to mention though, because before we get into Oscar Colas, I will take the new thing of spending on older Cubans, seven figure deals. There were years and we were looking at this when we're looking at our top 30 prospects with like, Benjamin Bailey producing in the DSL and like how barren the DSL had been for the White Sox for the last like decade, at least, you know, I'll take this over what they were doing before. It may not be the best. It may not be like what the Padres are doing, but it's better than what they had been doing. Oh yeah. Or trading money away to get buyouts paid, you know, my, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean like, yeah, I'll take this. Like, and I think like, look, it, it, it's a deeper dive and I might do it eventually. I think, you know, with, not to get political, but I don't know if you remember, like a couple years back, like it looked like the Cuban pipeline was really going to like open for real. Right. And then the, the Trump administration put some sort of, I, I don't know what it was, but they like stopped it from happening. Right. And then all of a sudden the White Sox were like trading away one and a half million of international bonus pool space. And that had just been like something that they hadn't done, which 
you know, I was kind of surprised by it and angry, but, you know, I think they kind of had their eyes on these four or five guys for a while. And it was just a matter of like what bonus, you know, like what bonus pool dates like they could fit them in. Because look, like anytime they were mentioned with one of these guys, like they haven't lost one of these guys in a while, right? Like they were rumored on Yolbert, they got him. Cespedes, Vera, you know, now Oscar Colas, who we're going to talk about. Like they, when they want one of these guys, they generally get them. So I kind of feel like this was part of their plan and they just had to kind of work around like the shifting bonus pool dates and all that weird stuff that goes on in that market all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an ever-changing market, too. We've seen the rules change. We've seen, you know, obviously the White Sox got Robert and they didn't have money for a bit or had less money. Um, so it's an ever-changing. And now we've got the different, uh, you know, it used to be July 2 for years. It was like everyone in baseball knew what July 2 meant, and now it's like January 15th. So that's another thing. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we've been kind of beating around it. Let's talk about Oscar Colas, $2.7 million reported signing bonus. The White Sox can't talk about it because they got to wait till January 15th. But uh, what do we know about costs? What does this mean? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's fairly important. Like, if you want to just go by rankings, I mean, Cespedes was the number one international prospect on MLB Pipeline. I don't really, you know, agree. I would have put some of the 16-year-olds a little bit higher. But look, I mean, he's one of the top guys in the class. Well, they had Colas ranked second. Um, You know, MLB pushing back these dates, like you just saw, like really screws over guys like this. And Norhe Vera especially, like... You know, Colas was eligible to sign this past December. And, you know, because of the shifting, like, landscape, that nobody has money for him. So that's how he ends up with the White Sox for $2.7 million next January. I had heard that his camp was asking for over $3 million. The Sox somehow, you know, they got him down to two point seven, which seems like the highest bid. That's half of their bonus pool. Their bonus pool is right around $5.4 million. So, you know, I don't know any of their other signings, but my guess is they have you know, some commitments for like Venezuelans and Dominicans probably for right around 2.5 million and they probably offered Colas the rest. So, you know, it's, it's exciting. The thing that's, the thing that kind of stinks is that, you know, he's in the Dominican. So I don't know what that means. Like, does he sign next January? And then he has to like play in the DSL and then he's going to be like 23 or 24 by the time he's playing stateside, you know, look, you'd, you'd still rather have him than not have him, but it's just the, the rules are, are super wonky and the, you know, the Sox have done what they can. I mean, I read some of James Fegan today, you know, he's, he's not going to pitch. They think he's power hitting corner guy. That's like done a lot to get his body in order. And, you know, they think he has like all-star level upside, like, you know, similar to Cespedes. Like I, this isn't, you know, this isn't Luis Robert or Yuan Moncada, but you know, it might be a big leaguer and relatively quickly. And for $2.7 million, like, Kind of like you were saying, it's you know it's worth it. It's a good signing. They've they've done a lot of this lately, and it's de- you know it's definitely not negative. So it's good. It's it's ex- it's it's exciting not having to kind of wait you know until next January to find out. I mean, the Sox aren't going to mention it like you said, but the deal is effectively done. I mean, I've had you know I had a bunch of people reach out last night like, oh, is this true? And I'm like, look, if Francis Romero saying it, like it's true. That dude, that dude's the goods in the Dominican. So I would say that that's happening. Yeah, so it's it's definitely exciting to have another uh, interesting prospect in the pipeline, you know, because we, we've been talking about this on, on, on the podcast and on our website for, for a bit now. When we did the top 30 this year, just a you know, month ago or so, it was a really good list, we thought. But then you look at what it's going to be a few months from now, and all these guys graduate, and you're like, well, okay, 
there's a lot of question marks and a lot of younger guys and like that next wave isn't uh, quite as exciting as what White Sox fans had been spoiled by for the last few years. So that they're, you know, they're not getting top 10 draft picks anymore. They're not getting, um, you know, prospects from trades anymore. So it's all on the system and guys like this certainly give it a, a boost just to add another, you know, like we talking about, you need that depth, just another guy. You know, the Cuban thing, I guess we'd probably be remiss to not talk about. I mean, they've just, man, they've just really cornered this market. And I think, you know, if the White Sox are offering you $2.7 million and somebody else is offering you like 2.8, maybe you go to the White Sox. Yeah, that's, they seem to be getting the benefit of the doubt, which is always a, a nice thing for them. And on top of that, I'm just happy that him and uh, Cespedes are a year apart because I, I really fear that they would turn into like inseparable prospects in a lot of people's minds like we have with Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist. Like those guys were high school righties drafted a year yeah. apart, back-to-back rounds, and like we haven't seen them pitch, so they kind of just get glommed together. Uh, Cespedes is supposed to be like a much better defender, right? So that's, that's a different profile. Yeah. So they are different. Like, you know, it's like people ask me who I like better. Like if I had to choose, like which guy would I rather have? And it's like, well, I mean, I mean, Colas has the left-handed power bat, which is something that the organization doesn't have. But if he can't play right field, then he's another corner DH type guy, which they also have plenty of. Like the thing with Cespedes is like, he's a right-handed hitter, um, but he can play all three outfield spots and can throw. So there's like, you know, there's a use for that guy. I guess I'm kind of glad that I don't have to write the article or talk about anymore, like which guy I would rather have, because somehow Marco Patty got both of them. So, you know, we just got to wait a little bit for it to become official and it's super weird. And yeah, next January, like Oscar Colas will officially be a White Sox prospect. And I'm kind of glad that some of the speculation's over, but I'm sure we'll still be talking about him over the next year. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be a long time coming, like you said. Like we have to wait from the deal to be official. We got to wait from the to come over here, and it could be two years in, in the making. So, <laughs> I think that just about does it. Uh, is there anything else top of mind that you want to talk about, James, before we wrap this episode? No, no, nothing. Like to, you know, I I want them to get done with spring training as soon as possible, so players stop getting hurt. You know, I do think, <laughs> you know, I I'm similar to you with spring training stats. Like take them with a grain of salt, but it's you know, it's kind of like. I think it's good when they're good, right? But when they're bad, like you just kind of say like, oh yeah, it's just spring training. Like none of this matters. But I do think that the pitchers that matter looking as awesome as they do is is a big boost. Like they were, you know, they were number one in offense over 60 games last year. I think their offense is still going to be plenty good, but I think this pitching staff could be like really, really good. And if Dylan Cease or Carlos Rodon is the guy that they've looked like so far, like you're talking about, you know, one of the best pitching staffs in the American league, not just one of the best bullpens. And it's definitely one of the best bullpens and, you know, stuff like that guys we've been talking about for years are going to get an opportunity and like maybe in some different roles. Like when you can, you know, when you have one of the better bullpens and then you add Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet to it for a full season, it's just like, you know, it seems like an embarrassment of riches, but, you know, nobody's ever had too much pitching. So I, I really just, like, want the season to get started so we don't have to hear, like, a story about, like, somebody else getting hurt in fake baseball games. Like, I know that it's probably going to happen in the season. There's going to be injuries. Guys are going to get hurt. They're not going to have enough players because that's the way that it goes. But when it happens in games that don't matter, it just really sucks. It's super annoying. Yeah, and this this is what we're where we're at right now. The season is, you know, we're what a week away, 
or so, so it's close. We'll see how it goes. The White Sox certainly lose a little bit of excitement with Aloy going down, but there's still a lot of talent. Like I said, the pitching staff should still be really strong, and the lineup still has some quality bats. You're asking, you know, Moncada to bounce back and Luis Robert to take a step forward and Andrew Vaughn to hit the ground running, I think, is basically all you need all of this thing to happen now. That's the other interesting thing that I can you can answer for me before we, we're done here is it seems like they're going to bat Yohan Moncada fourth. And, you know, I think he, you know, he's still got a chance to be the best player on the team. So like batting second, like always did kind of make sense. But I'm just wondering, do you think, like, do they think that if he hits fourth, he's going to be like the best version of himself where he's not like sitting there taking as much as he is. And look like he, he should walk. He should be like a 360, 370 on base guy, but he also like needs to, you know, drive the pitches that he can drive. And sometimes he doesn't do that because he's looking to get on base too much. I wonder if them trying to hit him behind Abreu and <laughs> they, you know, b- before Eloy, which it won't be the case now. I wonder if that was like the reasoning behind like his apparent shift to hitting cleanup this year. Yeah. I, I have no idea how he's going to respond to it. Right. I mean, the lineup, I mean, it's funny because when we were talking about Andrew Vaughn and I was saying, like, I don't want him to have to focus on defense. The guy I was thinking about was Mankata when he moved from second to third, right? I, I don't want to say that he's, like, fragile or anything like, oh, he has to be in this spot in the order that'll screw him up. I, I don't know. It's a good question, though. Like, I do wonder if he will be as aggressive as he should be in the cleanup spot. It actually might be kind of perfect for him because, you know, you're not a table setter at that point. So, I mean, theoretically, it should work. Yeah, so we'll see. You know, prior to this injury, obviously, I thought anybody could hit, you know, Anderson's going to hit first, and I thought anybody could hit two through seven, and maybe, you know, Tony in his career has, as manager, hasn't really gone with a set lineup, and I'm not really expecting it this year, and that's not really something I care that much about as long as all the players are good. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm just cur- I'm curious to see, you know, Yohan Mankata's a guy that people have kind of forgot about that, you know, was really good that still has a chance to be really good, and they're going to need him now, so... Hopefully uh, the hot spring continues. Yeah, hopefully a lot of uh, hot bats come out. We'll see. Uh, so, yeah, that does it for us. I know on the website we'll have uh, some Oscar Colas coverage. We'll have some more roster news coming up soon. Uh, we'll try and get some stuff from the alternate site wherever and whenever that will be before we get a gear up for the minor league season. Stay with us at uh, Future Socks, and thanks for listening.